An adult elephant can weigh up to six tons. The average person, 150 pounds. Ever heard of carfentanil? It's a large wild animal tranquilizer. Illegal drug dealers lace heroin with it. It can kill the average human. If you or a loved one is addicted to opiates, even pain pills, don't wait until it's too late. Call the Detox and Treatment Helpline now. We care. Many of us have been where you are. We'll take you or a loved one away from the drug environment to a place you can clean out safely. Plus, we'll work with your insurance company to make sure you get the treatment you need. And with a Family Medical Leave Act, you're allowed by law to get away for help without telling your employer why. Call now to save a life. 866-490-3991-866-490-3991-866-490-3991. Alexa users. Hi, this is Stacy Keach, and you're listening to TV Confidential. Ed Robertson, and author guest Jim Rosen. Jim is the author of many excellent books on such classic television series as Naked City, Wagon Train, The Invaders, Peyton Place, Adventures in Paradise, Quincy, and Route 66. Jim's latest book, The Streets of San Francisco, a Quinn Martin TV series, The Streets of San Francisco, a Quinn Martin TV series, is a comprehensive oral history of the streets of San Francisco featuring commentary from series star Michael Douglas, producers John Wilder and Cliff Gould, director Walter Gromit, and other key personnel of the streets of San Francisco. It also includes a detailed episode guide, behind-the-scenes photographs, excerpts from actual outlines of Streets of San Francisco's episodes, and a whole lot more. You can find The Streets of San Francisco, a Quinn Martin TV series, as well as many of Jim's other books by going to ClassicTVSeriesBooks.com, www.ClassicTVSeriesBooks.com. The first two seasons of Streets of San Francisco are currently available on DVD, and there is also an excellent website devoted to the show at streetsofsanfrancisco.net. Now, Jim, in our previous segment, we were talking about the camaraderie between Stone and Keller and, and the off-camera camaraderie between Carl Malden and Michael Douglas. And, Michael, was, you were conveying what Michael told you about Carl's generosity to him as a young actor, which stemmed in part because you know, Carl knew and Carl worked with Michael's father, Kirk, Douglas, do you think that dynamic, that generosity was necessarily because he had a history with Michael, or, or, or would he have been that generous with any other actor, whoever the co-star would have been? Well, I think initially it started off that way because here, you know, he, he said he walked in the room and he saw this young actor with a dimple in his chin, and I think he uh, he just saw a lot of uh, uh, his old friend Kirk Douglas in this young man. But I think a huge part of that was was Michael. I don't think Michael was what you would call a, an egocentric person. He was uh, he was willing to learn and and grow and uh, and and listen. And he's just a very uh, nice person, Michael. He's very da- he's a very down to earth and unassuming man. And I think that that all came into play. I think that was was probably a strong part of the reason why Carmel treated him the way he did. And I think had someone else come along like Michael that, uh, that, that was prepared and energetic and enthusiastic and listened and, and had no ego that got in the way and was interested in getting the work done and, and producing the best result they could, I think he would have, he would have responded in the same way he did to Michael. Uh, television, as you know, is, um, 
it's done very quickly. Uh, you have, you know, uh, seven days on the average to, to shoot an hour show, and the clock is ticking, Time and you're under a lot of yeah. pressure to do the, the best job that you can do in a limited amount of time. So uh, it, it's essential that someone be really interested in, in, in the process and making things work and getting the results that you want. So working with someone like that, you, you, you come to appreciate them. And I think, I think because of that, Carl had those feelings toward Michael in addition to the other uh, that entered into it. But I think he also would have felt that way towards someone else that had the same attitude that Michael did. Which brings us to Richard Hatch. Now, it's very interesting. We were talking about this during the commercial break. When I first watched Streets of San Francisco in the 1970s, and I remember when Michael left, it was just after he won the Oscar for Cuckoo's Nest, and he established himself in the motion, as a motion picture producer and soon to be a motion picture star. And I remember uh, when they replaced him with... Uh, Richard Hatch, even though they did a good job with the transition episode, to me it just wasn't the same. Now, when I watch the show today, I feel a little differently about Richard Hatch. And even though it was a different character, he wasn't as bad as I first thought. No, uh, I I thought Richard acquitted himself well. Um, You have to understand something, that when when you replace someone that's that vital Mm -hmm. in a television series and someone that's established that kind of rapport... Uh, with, with the with the lead uh, the lead actor in the series that Michael did with Carl, it's a it becomes a very very difficult act to follow. And you know you 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 hit the ground running because you're not starting a show. He was coming into the series in the fifth year, and he had really nothing to build on. And uh, you know whenever um, there's a replacement. Uh, in a TV series, you're always compared and contrasted to the original actor. Absolutely. And it's it's an uphill battle. I thought Richard uh, was a handsome guy. I thought he was a very competent actor. He had worked in New York on a soap opera, All My Children, and he had done some plays uh, off-Broadway, and, and then he had returned to California and done guest shots on a lot of the TV shows. Including a lot and, of Quinn uh, Martin shows. Yeah, Quinn Martin really liked him and watered him in the show. So he was a good addition, but I think there was a lot of pressure on him to succeed and to carry the ball, and it was very hard. I'll say this to you also, that what we just talked about, there there was a very special relationship between Carl and and Malden and Michael. Uh, It was very unique, and because of the reasons we talked about, that wasn't going to happen again, no matter what actor you brought into the show, in my opinion. So when you put all those things together, no, no matter what Richard brought to the show, uh, it, it, it was not going to be the same. It was going to be different. And it, it, it was an adjustment to make for the viewers because you had four years of, of, of one thing and you got used to and that you loved, and all of a sudden there was a change. So um, despite that, I think that Richard and Carl, and Carl Molden got the work done. They had, a, they, had, they had a professional relationship. And maybe if they had had another season, that they could have built more on what they, they, they began to... Uh, to have, uh, but the show was canceled, uh, and it just, as you say, it, it was was not the the same. I think for those reasons that I just outlined. 
Yeah, but at, at the same time, we're, a big word for me is authenticity. And, uh, and you know this as an actor, Jim. Uh, you find something in any character you're playing, something mm-hmm. that you, know, you can identify with, that you can recognize, and that you can, you know, drawing from your own experience and your own particular skills, so that it comes across as real and as, uh, as human-like as, as possible. And, and not that Carl necessarily thought about it like this, but because he had, such a, he had such a special rapport both on camera and off camera with Michael Douglas, he would, it would have been phony. And I think, I think he probably knew the, the viewers would have recognized that if he immediately you know, just made that, oh, you know, uh, with, with the Dan Robbins character. I mean, that, it was something that you had to build on. And, That's a good point. But uh, but but at the same time, you know, you know, Carl being a pro, you know, knowing it's a different dynamic. I mean, you you started from scratch. And as I say, as I look back at as I look back at the fifth season, uh, there were quite a few there were quite a few good shows. You know, in addition to the thrill killers, there's one show. Uh, there's one show with uh, Barry uh, Primus called A Good Cop, but. Which uh, it, it was it was toward the end of that of that final season that uh, kind of touched on you know um, a, a a cop who was who was revealed to be a homosexual which which again was one of those taboo subjects um, in 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 the mid nineteen seventies but uh, it was it was the kind of thing that you know Quinn Martin you know and you know uh, Quinn Martin shows weren't afraid to address. In the course uh-huh. of an episodic show, and so there are, there 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 are a number of good shows shows that final season, and it, it would have been interesting, you know, what what might have happened had it had it seen the light of day for a sixth season. Yeah, I think though that uh, I think in the final analysis, the audience just didn't make the adjustment, and through, through no fault of anyone, and 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 also uh, at that point they had five years, yeah. they had uh, 119 shows, so they were they knew they had syndication. I think. Uh, uh, Michael said Carl was at that at that point was no spring chicken, and yeah. he he might have been tired uh, of the show. Uh, was you know he was a he had a tremendous work ethic, Carl Malden. He <laughs> you, you remember in the book Michael talks about this. They would be when they were in, in the next setup. Uh, they had time downtime. Uh, they would be rehearsing scenes from the next show uh, because they. They wanted to be on top of the dialogue and pick up their cues. And because they were so adept at it, uh, John Wilder told me he was able to make the story a little longer. And um, it, it also sent a message out to the directors and the the guest stars that came on the show. Uh, you better come prepared and, and know that you've got to pick up the pace because we're not uh, whistling Dixie here. Well, two, <laughs> two things. One is... It speaks to you know uh, Malden. We, we think of Malden, you know, with you know on the waterfront and streetcar named Desire. But Malden had a very extensive uh, uh, stage background, and so um, the one request uh, he made of John Wilder was, if you can get the next script to me in advance, so I can at least go over it, prepare myself to the extent he could, given the confines of episodic television. So we, so as best he could, he took a theatrical approach. To his to his character from week to week, but at the same time, you talk about you know directors or whoever came on to work one show or another be prepared to work. They had to be prepared to work because Carl Malden immersed himself in every aspect of that production, didn't he? Oh yeah, yeah. He was, uh, you know, 
Listen, uh, people like he and Jack Klugman uh, uh, were from the old school, and uh, they they were uh, very very uh, involved in what they did. They were very well prepared. They were no nonsense individuals. They took the work very seriously, and uh, they knew their character in and out. Uh, the David Worf, who directed uh, some of the episodes and was an assistant director for many of the shows. Uh, he he has that interesting story. If you remember, where they're in the uh, in the squad room interior, uh, and uh, there's an actor in the adjoining room, maybe the third room back, and Carl comes uh, comes up to him and said, "David, do you see that man uh, in, the, in in the back room?" He said, "Yeah, the one with his back to camera." Yeah, and Carl comments, "Well, he was he played a heavy two or three shows ago. He doesn't belong here." David sent the man home. You know, he was a he was a background yeah. performer. He was not an actor. Yeah. So they had the, uh, the facility to do that. But that was uh, that was an example of what you just mentioned, what you just brought up, which is an interesting point. He he was very uh, much uh, involved in the uh, the the the, the, tota- the totality the of the show. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, there, I mean, you, there, we, we've talked about this on the program. I'm sure you may have run across a, a one or two of these in the course of your career in front of the camera. But there, there are certain actors, they when they when they're given a script, they only read their parts and their parts only, and they count their lines and stuff like that. Carl didn't do that. No, no. I mean, it was his show. You know, uh, Quincy was Jack's show. They, they, they cared about the product, and they were, they were very involved. Yeah, I think. I think Michael told me at one point that actually Carl uh, Malden had it in his contract that he must have the script a week in advance. And John Wilder, to his credit, always honored honored that, and he would get the script to Carl uh, Malden at least a week in advance so that he could prepare. And it, it showed. I mean, they, they were able to shoot that show, uh, uh, you know, start and, and work... Uh, uh, six days a week they worked on Saturdays and they were able to utilize the downtown area on Saturdays because there was a reduced flow of traffic and it facilitated their getting things done and you know also uh, uh, Jacques Marquette uh, was very very uh, uh, very resourceful he did the show the first three years he he had a, a good system down and uh, shot with very with very fast film and could use a minimum uh, amount of lighting and uh, uh, enable them to get into uh, real-life locations without a lot of uh, 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 time consumption and then pick up the equipment and move. <laughs> In fact, Michael, Michael said to me at one point, even he and, uh, and Carl Malden would pick up the, uh, the film casing sometimes and load them on the truck. He said, we were all in it together, you know, to, to, uh, to make things... Uh, go more quickly and move to the next location. Well, it goes back to what you mentioned a little bit earlier, Jim. Even though Michael came from, you know, uh, Academy Award winning pedigree, you know, with with his father and, you know, Carl, of course, you know, was uh, came came to the show with with Oscar pedigree. They they put their ego aside for the good of the product uh, and for for the good of the show and the finished product the, the episodes week after week were were highly consistent. They were good quality and you know they they drew you in the viewer every week yes uh yeah that was definitely a uh a big plus you know listen attitude is very important it's it's very important in life you yeah. know it uh, it reflects on uh, what you do and uh, uh 
you know, and how you treat people and then how people respond to you. And uh, hats off to Michael. He really took the bull by the horns. And uh, once he went to the next level, he was not content to sit back and uh, wait for agents to come to him with, with offers from producers. He went out and uh, picked uh, his own projects to produce and act in. And at that time, in the late 70s, there weren't many actors that were doing that. Yeah, he, he believed that, you know, sometimes you make your own opportunities, you know, and yeah. uh, he, he certainly he certainly made the most of that. Uh, hats off to Michael Douglas. Hats off to Jim Rosen. Jim is the author of The Streets of San Francisco, The Streets of San Francisco, a Quinn Martin TV series. Everything you want to know about the classic ABC police drama starring Carl Malden and Michael Douglas and produced by Quinn Martin. We'll continue our conversation with Jim after this quick time at you are listening to TV Confidential. Ed Robertson, hoping you're enjoying this encore presentation of TV Confidential. We'll be back with a brand new edition of the program next week. You can now listen to TV Confidential on your smart speaker by just saying, Alexa, play TV Confidential. Enabling our Alexa skill is easy. To find out how, go to televisionconfidential.com slash Alexa. Hello, this is Robert Wagner, and you are listening TV Confidential. 45 Years of the Rockford Files, revised third edition. The complete history of the Rockford Files on television, now completely updated with more than 20 new interviews, additional photographs, and a whole lot more. 45 Years of the Rockford Files, available now at rockford45.com, rockford45.com. Attention timeshare owners. This is an urgent consumer alert from the Timeshare Exit Hotline, a national company specializing in helping consumers legally get out of their expensive timeshare contract. Our experienced partners are offering you a way to legally get rid of your timeshare. You'll never pay another timeshare maintenance bill again, and all your obligations will be terminated. You can begin saving today. Even if you've tried another company to get rid of your timeshare, call and see if we can help you. At the Timeshare Exit Hotline, we only accept payment after an agreement has been made to get you out of your timeshare. Make this complimentary free call and learn how our honest partners can help anyone, anywhere, legally get out of their timeshare nightmare. 800-715-6093-800-715-6093-800-715-6093. That's 800-715-6093. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.